You're listening to the Liberty News Radio Network, and this is the Political Cesspool. The Political Cesspool, known across the South and worldwide as the South's foremost populist conservative radio program, and here to guide you through the murky waters of the Political Cesspool is your host, James Edwards. Welcome back, everybody. Second hour of tonight's live broadcast from Alabama's Southern Cultural Center. I'm James Edwards, along with, and I am honored to call him not just my friend and my colleague, but my co-host for one night only, Mr. Jared Taylor of Amarin.com. How's he been doing tonight, guys? (laughs) I really enjoyed that conversation uh, between uh, Jared and Brad Griffin and we're going to bring Brad back in the next segment and we're going to continue it but first but first I wanted to take a quick departure with Jared and ask him you said at Amron last week uh, the iron there was an iron curtain that uh, fell on America that absolutely kept people like us from making the sort of national TV and radio appearances that uh, now I, I would say we I was able to get in on that very briefly. Now, when I first started the radio program in 2004, we were able to have a series of very high-profile interviews. You and Peter had been around already by that time uh, quite a bit longer. And I think that an Amarin conference had actually been broadcast live on C-SPAN. The 1990s, by today's standards, were really a golden age of freedom of expression and freedom of thought. It's the 1990s when the Minnesota twin adoption study came out. These were identical twins, separated at birth, reared by completely different families, and when you studied them, they were so overwhelmingly similar. This was the importance of genes. Another very important study was the Minnesota transracial adoption study. These are people who'd set out to prove that blacks and whites are absolutely the same, give them the right environment, the same environment, they'll turn out the same. So you take a black child and a white child adopted into a middle-class white family, and in the early years, it seemed promising. But by the time they were adolescents, the black people were just like average black people. White people were just like average white people. (laughs) And we had the bell curve. We had Michael Levin writing things. We had Daniel Seligman writing a really great book about race and IQ. All of this seemed that we were really moving towards clarity on these things. Believe it or not, In the 1990s, when I first started American Renaissance, I could almost imagine in the not-too-distant future a PTA meeting in which one lady gets up and says, well, of course there aren't any blacks in the AP physics course. Just remember there's that 15-point IQ difference. And then the PTA (laughs) goes on to organizing the school Christmas party. All right. Yes. But then things stopped. About the year 2000 was a big change. I I would say it was a little later than that because – Peter Brimelow and I did a joint interview with CNN. The question was, are whites racially oppressed? That was 2011. I, I made a series of appearances, three in one month on CNN. And you remember how those CNN appearances used to go. They'd either fly you up to New York or, yes. they, or they'd send you to a local studio. There's different right. ways to do it. You did a lot of these things. A lot of these things, I would say, it was around 2010. Now, you might have had more action in the 90s, but from my perspective, it was still going when we got on in uh, 2004 and it dried up almost entirely in 2010. Now, they still talk about us. They just oh, yeah. don't talk to us. And so no, that, no, there's no. a difference there. But the, uh, there's two ways to get in the news. 
if you're intimately involved in the story, say it's like a, a man bites dog story, and you're part of the subject matter, they can come to you for interviews. So if you've done something that's newsworthy, but the other way, and the way you really want, I think, is to be brought on as a commentator or a pundit. So we yeah. had a lot of appearances with national news, uh, you and I, the, we, uh, being brought on to offer commentary on a topic that was an area that we were known for addressing. And that's what you want. Those are the things that have completely dried up. That's right. But Remember why do you think that they would ever have had us on? I can understand why they've dried up. Yes. Why did yes. they ever have us on to begin with? Well, like the Paula Zahn show. Remember her? Oh, yeah. uh, you were on her show. I was on her show. I was invited on uh, the Donahue program <laughs> twice. Once for about, uh, about 15 minutes. And that provoked so much interest. They had me back for a whole hour. Part of it was, I think, as it turned you out. You did Queen Latifah, too. Did Queen Latifah. <laughs> I used to refer to her, yes, Your Majesty. No, Your Majesty. Yeah, she got a kick out of that. But... I think at the time there was still a certain amount of interest, this notion that we are right and everybody else is not only wrong but immoral had not yet gelled. Uh, and, and now, of course, well, I, I say of course. Why do you think that it did dry up and why do you think now it went from pretty steady appearances or at least intermittent appearances to nothing at all? My suspicion is that it had to do with the fact that they could not refute us. They realized, well, it's not a good idea to have these folks on. But things changed, for me at least, very dramatically in 2016. Hmm. And that had 100% to do with Donald Trump. The idea was they had decided that Donald Trump was this vicious racist. All you had to do was say that some of the, some of the Mexicans coming across the border were not exactly the people you want as neighbors. And oh boy, oh boy, you are a bad guy. Then they discovered that people like me were going to vote for Donald Trump. Their idea was, okay, we're going to interview this insect, Jared Taylor, and we're <laughs> going to listen to the hateful, horrible things he says, and then we're going to, by implication, say, okay, Donald Trump is supported by this miserable person. He must be equally an insect and racist and contemptible. I, I don't think people know the extent to which... You and I communicate throughout the week, at least on email, and I, I, we've been doing this for so many years, and I always seek the advice of my betters and my elders, people like you and Sam Dixon and, and, and others in our ranks, but we, we have this email chain, and I can remember in 2016 seeking your advice. You, you mentioned how Trump impacted the way the media treated you. Well, of course, because of the Donald Trump interview, we had gotten, we were talking about this actually earlier today, Jared, just, I mean, every press outfit in the but I said no to all of them because, of course, they were just using me to try to taint Trump. And yeah. as you said, this is the kind of despicable person that supports. They actually said I was a slave-loving, um, I can't remember what they called me, but a sla yeah. <laughs> advocate for slavery, all kinds of stuff. But, um, but well, so we, we, we didn't do those. Well, my analysis is this. They had they've been trying to pump Donald Trump up as this horrible racist boogeyman by talking to you, talking to me. And then because their idea was if we portray him as a horrible person supported by these horrible persons, then right thinking Americans are certainly not going to vote for this guy. And they miscalculated. He became president and they were stuck with this Frankenstein monster of a white <laughs> supremacist white supremacist president that they had created in their own uh, mind. Let's skip this break. I want to skip this break so we can 
continue this and get back to Brad as quick as possible. We'll skip the break. We're about to play this clip before we transition again. But I think you're 100% right about that, Jared. I, I think what you said is, is spot on. And their overreaction to Trump, they were overreacting to the avatar that they made of him. I mean, exactly. it, he was not the threat that they made him out to be, but they acted like he was. And it is because of what I think is that mismanagement that led to the polarization and the collapse of faith in the institutions. I agree 100%. The function of Trump was to bring these rabid people out from their deep holes underground. They could not contain themselves. And once they decided this guy was the Frankenstein monster, they couldn't help themselves. And I remember a New York Times journalist. I can't remember his name. He said, traditionally, our job is to tell the news as it is. In this case, this Trump guy is so dangerous that we need to change our approach and write so that this guy is defeated and destroyed. He, he said this, a guy who says that openly, you know that he's, stake, <laughs> he's speaking for a thousand of his brother generous, journalists who thought that. Oh, well, well, this was one of the polls we've cited is, is that I can't remember. I think it was up to 92 percent of the Trump base believes, rightly so. I can't believe it's only 92 percent that the establishment media, I don't like to call them mainstream because I think we're mainstream now with a vast portion of the country, but that the establishment media is basically a synonym, a synonym for the Democratic Party. I wanted yes. to say one more thing about the media, and then I want to get Brad Griffin back in on this conversation. Excellent exchange that we were having in the first hour. We've got a clip here, Jared, just to go back very quickly okay. uh, to some of your media appearances. I always think I at least hold my own, but I have never seen an interviewer so flummoxed by an exchange with a guest. Let's listen to just uh, this 50-second clip, uh, if we can cue it up and play it now. That is the ideal. I, I no, know very well our founding no. fathers were slave owners. Yes, and I know and very well that they probably did not imagine that America would be today what it is. They However, would have been appalled by the idea. Furthermore, what you're saying, yet, what you're saying is somehow whites were about to choke to death on their own homogeneity when people like yourself kindly arrived from diversity and saved us from ourselves. No. We built a wonderful country that your ancestors could not have been. That is why people like you come here. And the more you come in large your numbers, you will change the country my ancestors built into something else. And it is completely normal for me to wish to oppose that. Mr. Taylor, I've taken enough of your time. <laughs> that was an ABC News interview. That was a pretty big one. And uh, by the way, I've actually watched it was an hour long interview. You just caught the last 50 seconds there the whole hour. I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. I would say the first thing that came to my mind was you ravaged her, but in a rhetorical sense. But, um, yeah, that was pretty brutal. Well, that's what she deserved. <laughs> I, I, I cannot tell you how disgusted I am by non-white people who have come here. Their ancestors came here, what, 20, 30 years ago, and they tell me diversity is our nation's greatest strength. In other words, we were, we were living in this dung heap, and then they kindly showed up, bearing this inestimable gift of diversity so that we wouldn't have to live with these no ornery old white people anymore. I tell them, do you realize how 
arrogant you sound. This is just disgusting to me, but that's what they've learned in school. We brought diversity. We're wonderful. I tell you what we're going to do, ladies and gentlemen, if you're uh, the people in the room tonight couldn't hear that clip because it was in our headset and we're not plugged into a PA system here. But uh, I'm going to put that exchange, that full interview that Jared Taylor had with this hostess of uh, ABC News at the time. And we're going to put it on our website, thepoliticalcesspool.org. You need to watch the whole thing next week. I have never seen such, not showmanship as if it was a, a, a carnival, but such marksmanship from one of our advocates. Uh, this is it, Jared. I mean, this goes back to the topic, and we're going to bring Brad back on now, but it goes back to the topic we opened this hour with. That right there, what you just heard, what you did to that ABC News reporterette, uh, that's why we're not invited on. <laughs> people are catching exactly. on. People are coming to our way of thinking. And when you can cut through their arguments like a knife through hot butter, better just to ignore. Absolutely. I just don't understand why they ever had us on, though, because you were always that good. But still, anyway. Uh, all right. So Brad Griffin back with us now. So to continue this conversation, Brad, we were talking about how uh, the perceived threat of Trump – how the establishment perceived him as sort of this white nationalist avatar far exceeded the actual Trump. But nevertheless, inadvertently or not, he got us to where we are today. And in that way, he was a gift from God. Uh, but I question, why didn't they just set on the ball? Everything was going their way. They had then and still have now control, full control of all the levers of institutional power. You wait out Trump. He's just a blip on the radar. And then you go back to running out the clock with demographic destiny. Uh, in your opinion, Brad, I mean, this overreaction has, has done everything to bring people to where they are now in terms of their collapsing faith in the institutions. Were they too blinded by their radical and unfathomable hatred of whites to pump the brakes? I mean, why couldn't they see that, hey, you know, this is just going to go away if we don't overreact? But they didn't. And I don't think they can for some reason. Well, I mean, it's it's obviously they're uh, in a panicked emotional state. Uh, and I want I want to give another shout out to um take take the conversation back to what you were talking about in the last segment. I remember, um, in 2015, um, there was a journalist from the New Yorker. I don't know if you remember his name was Evan Osnos. I remember him very and well. I, I remember I remember he got up with me and we were we went to a conference here, and he came in here and he was like, he wanted to know uh, what what people were thinking about Trump, and he's just like, this is just crazy. This is this ain't ever going to happen. These people in this building living in an alternative universe where the South is going to rise again and all this Christian stuff and white people and all thing is just unbelievable, right? And I remember he wrote his, his, his big article, and sure enough, you know, like I was just, we were just talking about like the, 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 the spirit left the building and swept over the land, and the number of radicals, which used to be small until Trump, just began that meteoric rise and that's that's why they're just so determined to get him because they they blame him for this phenomenon and going back to what we were saying earlier about how in the 90s it was so different it was a golden age for free free speech well that's because um the consensus politics was just so much stronger back then think about it the republicans nominated bob dole in the the most yeah the the most i mean that was the state of the right in the 1990s and and here's a and here's one reason why they shut you down jared and this is a huge thing um most people make up their minds for life about their politics their values when they're in their 20s and 30s in the year 2000 i was 
20. Now, I am either one of the, the same age, yeah. exactly one of the very youngest Gen Xers, one of the oldest millennials. And you had a window right there starting around 2000 till the, the panic happened when Trump was elected and they shut everything down in 2018. A whole generation of people came up on both the left and the right who were raised on the Internet. And that's when the Internet was relatively free. That's correct. And what's uh, a major change that's happened over the last 20 years is a whole generation has passed. A whole generation of people have, have died off. Um, I'm, me and you are in middle age now. There's a generation under us. Uh, and, and, and that transformative impact is, you know, people grow, as people grow older, they grow in political influence. And so you're, you're really seeing the uh, millennial right is, is really reshape, is really challenging and reshape. And it's both the left, too, on both the left and the right. It is true that there was a wonderful period of free speech on the Internet. And uh, you could kind of gauge the in the various infringements that began to be implied to it. But Twitter, for example, it started off claiming to be the free speech wing of the free speech party. And I think they genuinely believe that. The restrictions on what you could put on Twitter were absolutely minimal. You could say politically absolutely anything you wanted. I think what then happened is that these people, these lefties, these billionaires who owned these free speech platforms, once they saw their own <laughs> personal views being trampled into the dirt by people like me, people like James, people like you, they began to think, well, wait a minute. The problem is not our ideas. The problem is free speech. So we better muzzle these guys because our ideas are losing. And then you get uh, people like, as I say, Barack Obama says that free speech, when he's talking about the Internet, he's talking about free speech. This is a threat to our democracy. So, yes, this was a wonderful period. But then, again, a different kind of iron curtain came down. People like me got kicked off the Internet. And instead of following their own terms of service, in which you could say just about anything politically, Twitter rewrote its terms of service and said, basically, we can kick anybody off mm -hmm. anytime for any reason, just as so long as it suits us. And that was bye-bye for my, for my account and thousands and thousands of others. And that, as you point out, these are the actions of terrified people, not the actions of confident people. You will never be forgiven for like what you did in those twenty years of poisoning the minds of all those young people. <laughs> now, now, no. Why they panicked? Obviously, and I joke about James with James about this all the time. James, you were the the median Republican voter in the year twenty twenty three. Now, way back in the day, they weren't taking you seriously, and that's why they could you could come on CNN. People, it was there was an attitude I can remember back then, um, of of. People, people were like, like remember after 9-11 and George W. Bush's rallied the nation to go shopping. There was, there was a sense that <laughs> people, right. there was, a, there was, a, there was, a, there was, there was, it was more loose back then because people had a sense that people couldn't really be moved to care about anything, much less like the preservation of the white race or <laughs> social justice or whatever. But that is, the whole mood has changed. It's, it's militant now, whereas it was very complacent in the past. So what do you think about Well, that? I think you will. I feel very lucky that I grew up in a period in which 
I did not have to start in kindergarten being told that I was part of the cancer of human history, that my sex, my race, the fact that I think I'm a normal boy makes me a villain. Mm-hmm. And I meet young people these days, 20, 25, who have gone through that and have tumbled to what so much is in it at stake. And they know at age 20 more than I knew at age 45, 50. It is very impressive, these young guys who have been beaten so hard and they've been tough enough to resist it that they have a view of the world, a maturity that I find absolutely admirable. Sam, I remember a very memorable mark Sam made at your conference. He said, back in the day, Brad, um, before we had the Internet, if you wanted to find the truth, you had to go find some some obscure newsletter or maybe, you know, encounter a, a, a leaflet somewhere passed out on a college campus. And I saw Dr. Ed Fields at your conference, and he's been around since the 50s and 60s. Yeah, so I can't man. even remember that era. I can't even remember that era. And, like, the... I mean, think think about how how dominant the consensus was in our politics in the fifties, and th- think about that trajectory over time, and well, it's completely changed. Well, Sam Dixon is absolutely correct. I would go to these early meetings, and the only people at the meetings were just strange. You had to be strange in order to ride off to some obscure P.O. box in Olathe or poke around in the dusty corners of some big university library and find John Baker's book on race or whatever it was. These were kind of peculiar people. And I'd look around the room and I'd think, good grief, is this the, these are people I'm fighting for? Well, I guess I am. Increasingly, increasingly, the people who, are woke, who have woken up to what's going on, they are sharp on the ball. They've got pretty girlfriends. They've got good jobs. I am immensely confident in the fact that we have so many great people who are going to be carrying the struggle forward. We will continue the uh, struggle in the next segment right after this break. Are y'all having fun still? We're halfway through the show. You're still like, okay, we'll keep going then. We may stay here all night long. We'll see. Stay tuned, everybody. Proclaiming liberty across the land. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm John Schaefer. Leaders from Los Angeles and San Diego are assuring residents their cities are prepared for Hurricane Hillary. The city is prepared. We're not waiting for the storm to hit. We have already begun working 24-7 to be ahead of the curve and to be ready as soon as the storm reaches our shores. Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass said at a news conference that the city has deep experience responding to crisis situations. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria made similar comments at a separate news conference. While I know this storm in particular is bringing about a much concern and uncertainty, I want to reassure San Diegans uh, that their city is prepared to respond swiftly and effectively to the impacts that this storm may bring and ensure the safety of all San Diegans. Hillary is expected to make landfall as a tropical storm Sunday night or early Monday morning. A new poll shows Florida Governor Ron DeSantis now tied with conservative businessman Vivek Ramaswamy for second place in the GOP primary field. An Emerson College poll finds growing support for Ramaswamy among younger voters as DeSantis registered a big drop from the 21% he held in June. 
you may be seeing less of Donald Trump this week. Former President Trump is suggesting he won't participate in the first Republican primary debate in a post on Truth Social. Trump said his poll numbers are extraordinary as he's polling well ahead of the other Republican candidates and questioned why he would make an appearance. Trump's opponents, meanwhile, have pressed the former president to attend. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. If he believes he's the best person to go against Joe Biden, then show up on Wednesday night and stop being such a coward. Trump says also that Monday's scheduled news conference in which he planned to release a report on his so-called election fraud is no longer happening on the advice of his lawyers. I'm Michael Kastner. The FBI is looking for a Florida proud boy who failed to appear in federal court for sentencing. Christopher Worrell was convicted on seven counts stemming from his actions during the January 6th riot. This is USA News. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around 200 to Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code STRONG for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code STRONG for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code STRONG. Ladies and gentlemen, a little bit later on in the program tonight, we're going to hear from uh, a variety of guests. John Friend from the American Free Press. He's my friend. John Friend. And uh, we had a chance to go out with John last night and have a great supper. And you're going to hear from John Hill, uh, the closest living descendant of General A.P. Hill from Virginia. You're going to hear from some other people as well. But right now, we're continuing the conversation with the incomparable Jared Taylor and Brad Griffin. So here we go again, Brad, from your website. I'll read. It's truly incredible when you think about it that our elites would put our institutions under this amount of stress in a time such as this. But I guess we shouldn't be too surprised after you take into account Iraq or transgenderism or now the war in Ukraine. Making foolish decisions is the hallmark of our current ruling class. Brad, you continue. Elections are how the ruling class legitimize their rule in our system. The key thing is that both sides trust that the process is fair and legitimate. The loser has to feel like they are full participants in the next election. Defeats are permanent defeats, but they are torching all of that to own Trump. And then you ask the rhetorical question, how many people have been radicalized by these four indictments? Is there anything that any of us could ever possibly do that is more destabilizing to the system than what they are doing to it themselves? There is no coming back from this level of loss of trust in the system. That's Brad, your words. Jared, would you agree with that? Is that wishful thinking, or we, do you think people will go back to eating it out of both hands? Or I think that is very profound and very eloquent. Now, it is possible Americans have notoriously short memories, and perhaps this will, after five years, have glimmered away into the past, but I doubt it. This is really crossing the Rubicon. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. And I'm just trying to think of how many times in history do things get, like, 
this bad. And then all of a sudden people, oh, you know, I've had a change of heart. I'm just going to mellow out and, and, and calm down. No, there's, that's not the way this works. It actually things can change very fast, but like only after like a massive, huge destabilizing <laughs> conflict, then people turn into moderates and, then you have an era like you have in the 50s. Is that an eb the, eb the inevitable ebb and flow of history throughout civilizations and nations? You see empires rise and fall, and uh, what's the old cliche? Hard men make good times, good times make we we so on and so forth. I mean, is, that, is this something that is just almost inevitable in the human condition? I definitely think so. I think there's um, we cycle through things, and things aren't just the end, but, I mean, we go through different stages, and we're definitely in a – disintegrating conflict um on the eve of conflict stage well you it's know it's so obvious if you I mean if you just look around you i mean all the signs are there it's the obvious I'm something saying. something that occurs to me is what happened remember what happened after may 25th 2020 this is one incident that was when george floyd laid down his life for all of us and ascended into heaven now that <laughs> one event that one event was really ultimately insignificant, but it sparked the most violent, destructive riots in the history of the United States. No fewer than 200 cities had to declare curfews. 30 states brought out the National Guard. This was a cataclysm. What this means is something had been building up for decades that was touched off by this one single, ultimately unimportant event. Now, what I'm leading up to here is perhaps we will get over the fact that Trump has been indicted when he is the leading opposition candidate. We may get over that. But this is the kind of preparation for the future May 20, May, uh, May 25, 2020. This is the kind of thing that could make people so disaffected, turn their backs so violently on the United States that... When something unexpected happens, that can touch the mark. That That's can it. set up very, very That's surprising it. things. Yeah. I mean, I've speculated about this. Um, are they going to? Is the establishment going to unleash their minions next year? Another real possibility, James, that we have not thought about, but it's obviously obvious, is what will putin and saudi arabia be doing to cost biden the election next year especially in terms of jacking up the price of gas prices in order to harm him and the elections and the economy into a tailspin on top of all this that that um that's absolutely um possible as well brad this is again something you've mentioned it before and you wrote about it this week but uh, before we get to that i'll give this comment from our friend michael hill michael hill uh, said uh, just a few days ago, although many won't believe it, we are standing at a crisis point in American history. This is a combustible situation that could ignite at any moment. It's just waiting for a match. When neither side of the political spectrum, Dr. Hill continues, when neither side of the political spectrum trusts power in the other's hands, you are close to one of two events either a civil war or secession, I pray we'll get the second. And I've talked about this, about how you have these nascent secession movements from everywhere from Idaho and Oregon to Texas and even New Hampshire. But you wrote, uh, Brad, and you said this in your recap of the Amran Conference, uh, which was so well-reviewed, by the way. We're going to mention that in just a moment. 
But uh, the Ameren Conference, is this the last time we'll be able to enjoy a few months of normalcy? Because what's coming next year is truly unprecedented, not just within the lifetimes of everybody alive today, but in the history of the uh, American Republic. Never has the leading candidate for president and the former president himself been indicted by his rival and, and, and running the I mean, I don't think I think it's the biggest thing that anybody could be talking about right now. I, I just I don't think there's anything bigger than this right now. You know, you talked about the necessity to run a democracy, whatever you want, what do you want, what, however you define it, requires that people can understand that if power changes hands, we are still part of the family. We, would, we are in power, then we become the loyal opposition. It's always appeared to me that in a multiracial democracy, that becomes less and less possible if the power's in the hands of one race, and then it looks like another race is taken over, boy, that is less and less a loyal opposition. You don't have that feeling that we're, in all, we're all in this together. And when, as you, get, as you say, we had these sort of smirking, gloating blacks who are putting into the dock a man that they consider the public face, the most prominent face of white supremacy, you are talking about a complete breakdown of this so-called democracy along racial lines. Wasn't it, wasn't it Aristotle who argued that democracy rests upon like fellowship, like a philia is what he called it, like a, a, a fellow feeling identity. Like we're all ethnic Southerners here. We could have like a, a really small government, liber, libertarian kind of, paleo-libertarian kind of state with, you know, maximum freedom if it was just us. But like we're not in it, we're not, <laughs> needless to say, under multiracial liberal democracy. That, that trust isn't there, and, and what they have inherited from the past is the system is just breaking down. And Yes, yes, I agree. I agree 100%. You, you have to have a certain amount of commonality. You have to believe that, okay, this time we lost the election, but the guys who won, they're fundamentally good guys. Ultimately, we are in this together. We have different ideas, but we can work it out. And when it becomes a, a cleaved multiracial democracy, that becomes impossible. Sam Dixon, who always says profound things. I have tucked more in my mind, more Dixonisms uh, from uh, more comments and anecdotes from Sam than anybody else that I can recall. But he, he said something, and I'm going to take a blind stab in the dark at this to paraphrase it correctly. Uh, and I'll certainly not hit the nail as eloquently as he did. But I believe in his speech last week at Ameren, he mentioned uh, he, someone was asked in the past, when did you know that civil war was inevitable? And I think they're talking about the Spanish Civil War. And that's when he said, when our, when I recognized our, our people were not our people, in so much as, you know, what we, we have with whites today, there are a certain group of whites, and you know them when you see them, and you know them when you talk to them, these are not my people. We have the common past, we have a common history, we have common ancestors, these are not our people. And when you have people who are not your people, that, that, that is, in fact, the very definition of the Civil War. Uh, yes, uh, I believe that's exactly what he was saying. Uh, responding, one of the thing, one of the things I saw is um, I saw Brian McClanahan, who runs the Abbeville Institute. He had a video out the other day, and it was like, "Why are young conservatives interested in identity politics?" And I watched the video, and Brian Brian was like, "You know, wh why aren't people talking about the size of the government or the, or, 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 or or the economy?" And and, <laughs> and, 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 and it just hit home. It just hit home to me how small of an affair our actual civil war was. I mean. We have all these all the people are tearing down the monuments today, but it's it's not about what happened then. 
it's about what's going on to the polarization that's going on today it has nothing to do with the the, the 1860s um, i mean the the argument back then was like a small affair and it was a, it was a there was different versions of just republicanism but otherwise people agreed that you know it was they were Americans were white people that we were overwhelmingly pro they took for granted that we were pro the Protestant religion. There was a consensus around the Republican form of government. Um, there was just a family dispute over the relative size of the government. This is when a time when the, the, you encountered the government through the post office. But l l where are we at today? <laughs> it is. This, this, that, 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 the conflict today is about how that sense of identity has been absolutely shattered. We'll let Jared Taylor comment on that after we take our next break, the final of the second hour. Before we shift gears in the third hour one more time and bring on John Friend, John Hill, if he gets back here, and maybe a few other surprise guests as well. We're broadcasting live from the Southern Cultural Center, southernculturalcenter.com here in Alabama. We'll be right back, everybody. Stay tuned. Hey there, TPC family. This is James Edwards, your host of The Political Cesspool. Folks, I want you to subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper. Against all odds, AFP has and continues to publish a populist, independent print newspaper with an unparalleled track record. Founded by a dedicated group of experienced patriots, AFP pulls no punches and tackles the most controversial and pressing issues facing America from an America First perspective. I've worked with the American Free Press since even before the beginning of TPC. Now that's something. You can subscribe to the print edition by visiting AmericanFreePress.net today or simply pick up a handy digital edition subscription. However you do it, subscribe to the American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, by visiting AmericanFreePress.net or by calling 1-88-699-NEWS, AmericanFreePress.net. In Message 1, we said that Satan, the father of lies, John 8.44, gave the left evil, spiritual power, the more they used the lies. The political left today is the beast. Now the Bible confirms that the dragon gave him, the beast, his power. Revelation 13.2 The extra evil spiritual power that comes from the beast by their lying is what accounts for the string of the leftist criminals in the government that have never yet been prosecuted. It also explains why American capitalists support communism in the 21st century. Note 1. That behavior of capitalists was predicted by Vladimir Lenin, a cell of the beast. Note 2. Henry Ford was a capitalist, and he would have never gone communist. The difference between Ford and the present day end-time capitalists is that Ford was born and educated in the Kingdom of Christ, 19th century America, the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21. All right, welcome back, everybody. Final segment of the second hour. One more hour to go still from Alabama Southern Cultural Center. James Edwards, Jared Taylor. We've been talking at length tonight with Brad Griffin, our good friend from OccidentalDescent.com. Uh, I want Jared to repose the question to you, Brad, that we were discussing just before the last break, but not before I read once again from your excellent website, talking about where the people are now. Brad, you right? Consider Peter Bremelow and VDare. In what sense is VDare an extremist website in 2023? 
Nearly all Republicans now want to curtail third world immigration, and at least 70% are explicitly opposed to the Great Replacement. The so-called normal and or mainstream Republicans have been reduced to a rump 15% of the party. May my paleo Connish views on immigration, trade, and foreign policy haven't changed in 20 years. You're writing about yourself there, Brad. But it is people like Charlie Kirk who have radically changed over the past six or seven years. My friend James Edwards, you conclude, is the median populist right voter in 2023. Comment on that very quickly, and I want uh, Jared to repose the question of uh, the last segment. Yes, um, the, the tables have been turned, and this is why they're so freaked out. Um, are, there, what view, James, do you have... I can't think of anything that would be considered marginal in today's right, today's Republican Party. I can't think of a single thing. Well, maybe one or two. Everybody has an outlier. <laughs> but but I mean, the, 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 the outsiders these days, the, the extremists are people like David French, um, Charlie Sykes, Bill Crystal. I mean, to, to be I, I mean, to be in the dissident right today, I would, I would say you'd have to be an, a globalist neoliberal um um you know like culture doesn't i'm not interested in the culture wars that's the real deviant view we're the mainstream now but back well, to brian well uh brother griffin you had at the last segment you had said something about this guy named mcclanahan who yes. he is baffled that white people are being concerned about their own racial interests when in fact if i understood correctly he's saying why aren't they talking about the size of government? Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, the, the size of government and the economy. And these or, were, or taxes or the usual baloney uh, Republican stuff that uh, they can't uh, get away from. And, and, and it's, well, 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 Brian is real focused on um, the Old South and stuff. Hmm. And you got to remember that was, that was, that was uh, a society where the, 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 the tension and explosion was over the dispute was over these things like economics whether we should have a, a centralized government that like supported tariffs and penalized the south which is agriculture but we are so far we are so far what happened was is the 20th century and that is that 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 that, that is, he missed the whole century it seems right, to me right right that, that is well, this division that we have in our politics now if if i could trace it back it doesn't go this current rift which we're about to come to blows over in my view goes back to the 1920s but how on earth can he have missed black lives matter crt uh, all of this utter insanity, the great replacement, we're dwindling in numbers, <laughs> and he still can't figure out why white people are suddenly developing a racial consciousness? I mean, that just sounds like profound stupidity to me. Well, you know, well, in, in, in Brian's defense, and I, and I defend him, it is, it is easy, especially for people like, you know, of, of our bent, to get bent like on like history and nostalgia and to get lost in books thinking about, like, the 1840s or 1850s, 1860s, but that's not where we're is, at. Is he asking a rhetorical question? Because I'm, I'm, I I'm confused. Is, is, is he asking a rhetorical question, or is he saying basically we shouldn't be concerned with identity politics, that we should be more concerned I'll, with these I'll, other to, issues? In fairness, I only caught half the video. Okay. I, right. It was well, very provocative. It's an interesting thought topic anyway. It created a stir before I came to the conference. All right. All right. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's start uh, – Wrapping this up with some final thoughts because we could transition again in the third hour. John Friend, John Hill, other guests, and a few surprises before the end of the program tonight. I have really enjoyed this deep dive, though, between Jared Daedler and, and Brad Griffin. But uh, we are, again, uh, just to circle back very quickly to what 
next year may portend certainly a, a, a constitutional crisis uh, because, uh, Jared, you and I were talking at, uh, in one of the breaks a moment ago that uh, you're going to have all of these different states in which Trump has been indicted. They're going to be dusting off uh, the election eligibility laws that they haven't opened up in, in decades, if ever, to find out, hey, you know, can you run if you're a convicted felon, if, if you've been indicted, if you uh, if you can't uh, vote if you're a felon, can you be the president? I mean, in some states you can't vote if you are if you have a felony on your record. And then, of course, there's a difference between federal charges and state charges. Um, in a, a federal case, you know, a president, or presumably even Trump himself, could pardon himself. I mean, that's another issue that's never been... Uh, dealt with before but in georgia for instance that's a state charge and i believe and i think i read this last week that even the governor of georgia if you were so inclined brian kemp who was no friend of trump even if he wanted to pardon trump i believe you have to go through some sort of a bureau of parole in georgia and it takes five years even if you, if you uh even if they intend to parole you so lots of questions are going to come up and i'm telling you I can't reiterate this enough. Gentlemen, as we said here tonight, everything, the world's still turning. Everything seems kind of normal. I mean, there's a lot of trends going in our direction. There's a lot of unrest. But it still feels, as you said, people are still going to see Barbie at the movie theater. Next year at this time, where are we at, Brad? And then to Jared. Well, I mean, where, where are we at? We're, 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 one thing that's a hallmark of our era, I would say, is like, and this is the same thing I'm getting back to the South and the war between the states. It wasn't slavery that caused the war between the states. If, like, like I was joking with Professor Maine on Twitter today, what, what about the Civil War of 1789, the Civil War of 1824, the Civil War, uh, I mean 1820, the Civil War of 1834, the nullification crisis, or the Civil War of 1850? So there was a whole series of compromises. Generation, slavery was always over there, but generation after generation after generation, People compromised and settled their disputes. They let Missouri be uh, a slave state. They let California be a free state. Uh, the nullification crisis famously would, they reduced the tariff. But like when it got to the 1860s, they just refused to compromise. And that's what's, that's what the same kind of atmosphere you see, the, the, the willingness to, it's either my way or the highway, like Lincoln said, a house divided is against itself, can't stand. It's going to be all or nothing. That mentality is is back. Is that not the case with these indictments? Mm -hmm. What exactly. I can imagine, what I can imagine is Trump continues to poll better and better and better. He there, there's not even a, a primary, perhaps, because he sort of practically wins by acclamation. And then right when we get to the point where we're supposed to vote, he is convicted and the marshals show up and they take him to jail. Now, some of his supporters, I, by no means am I recommending this, it would not surprise me in the slightest if you get some people showing up with AR-15 saying you are not touching this man. I can, I can imagine that. Everybody can imagine that. Yeah, well, and what a showdown and a horror that would be. Absolutely. And I, I want to ask you this. It's um, with regards to Trump, imagine the crushing pressure, I mean, the crushing pressure of facing several lifetimes in prison for dubious, over dubious charges, and uh, he is still, I have to commend him for this. I have to give him all the credit in the world. All three of us have been through a lot, but we haven't been through anything like this. Uh, and even if he's in his 70s, no mm -hmm. matter how old you are, you don't want to spend whatever's left of your life in, the, in prison. And to his eternal credit, I will say, he is weathering this with an un 
otherworldly type of resolve. I mean, I think the worst thing that could happen is if he pleads out or if he agrees to drop out, if they'll drop the charges. Uh, I don't want to volunteer him to be our martyr, but I mean, but do you think you're shaking your head? What do you think? I mean, I think if he if he did that, though, it then it's on him and it wastes the potential of this moment. He's not that kind of man. He's not that kind of man. He he is gonna fight all the way to the end. But but no no. But I agree with you. If I had a tenth of what's hanging over his head, I I, I, I couldn't sleep at night. I I couldn't sleep at night. Of course, I often think about that. Uh, uh, Our Confederate ancestors, uh, anybody in a command position the night before a major battle. Wow, what's going through their minds? What's going through their minds? We have faced. Tremendous pressure, what we thought, but nothing like a commanding officer before a major battle or an ex-president facing all of this pressure. And I've been involved in litigation, didn't enjoy it, but even one lawsuit takes hours and hours and hours and hours, not only in court, but dealing with your lawyers. How are we going to present the evidence? And he's got this crushing ton of litigation right in the middle of campaign season. Wow. Wow. Well, I beg your pardon. No. Talk about his, this resolve. I, I, and you know, he just seems to laugh it off. I don't see any sign that he is under any psychological pressure at all. Most people visibly age while they're in office. He didn't seem to age. He's got some kind of uh, almost <laughs> magical psychological fortitude that I can't even hardly imagine. I've seen, I've seen some. Final word to you, Brad. We've got two minutes left. I want to thank you again. I want to be able to get this in. I want to be sure to thank you again for spending the bulk of the first two hours with us. Final word to you. I mean, I've even seen, I've even seen uh, Trump with his resolve. You know, we've had all these woes, like you know, lawsuits. Some guys went into prison in Charlottesville for a year or two. Trump is facing half a millennia in, in, prison. <laughs> in, in prison we've lamented that we've lamented the demise of our twitter and youtube accounts now he even i even saw he even won dr hill's respect for for for, for that and that and that is that is a, a, quite a quite a development i, I would say that he's going to be the guy who's going to take it down <laughs> yeah that's that's, that's well true. Uh, yes, he could, he could be the Samson without even <laughs> pulling on those columns, just practically doing nothing. He could bring the house down because of the way he has polarized this country without even trying. And you know, the great thing about him, he, as I said before, he forced all of these liberals to show their true colors, just how hateful, how intolerant, how utterly arrogant they were. And if that was the only thing he'd done, I think we'd be eternally grateful. Samson at least had to exert a little bit of energy to bring the house down. If Trump can continue to breathe, it will happen. Brad, final word, seconds remaining. Oh, I mean, it's just been a great conversation, and that's I'll, I'll just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll just leave. I'll just leave the thought of you know Trump going down like Samson, doing all, do, doing everything. And I, and I, and I, you know, I gave him so much crap for he didn't he failed on this policy or that policy. But if he's the guy who brings the whole house of cards down, then it'll be worth it. That's right. That's absolutely right. Thank you, Brad Griffin, Occidental Descent. John Friend of American Free Press is up next. There's so many great people here. One hour to go. James Edwards and Jared Taylor, TPC Live from the Southern Cultural Center. SouthernCulturalCenter.com. Stay tuned, everybody.